right now in our church that I believe that God has been giving us an unction to do, put a, a bit of responsibility on my spirit to try and get this message out. And I believe that God is wanting us to look outward, to be an outward-looking church, to have a sense of mission. You know, to see the kingdom of God, not only in terms of what God has done for us, but also what is in us because of what God did for us. How are we now to behave? How are we now to live because of what Jesus has done for us? We actually do have a responsibility to other people. Salvation is not just for you. It is your salvation, but there's many things that accompany salvation that Hebrews puts the better things, and that always is about other people. And to be honest, that God would have us have a focus on that right now shows me once again what a genius God is. You know, because of the last two years, it's been a lot of crazy happenings. And because of what's been happening, to be honest, we've made church many times about us. When can we meet? How do we meet? How many can meet? What do we do when we meet? Should we meet? Yes, we have to meet. All of those different things have been going on. And we then created ways for you to engage in church. We've got a fantastic online service right now. So hello, all those people online. And it enabled us to do things in a, in a greater way. And people who are crook, people who are away are now able to engage in church online. So that's been a good thing. And so even though right now we're not hearing about COVID so much in the, you know, in the, on the news and all those different things, there's pretty much not any weekend where we don't actually have to make changes and big changes because someone's sick. Someone who was supposed to be doing something is now sick. Today is the third anniversary of Morayfield starting, the one-year anniversary of Morayfield being in its own building, and Pastor Joe is really sick. He can't come tonight because he's sick. Now, if you know Joe, a, a, a bulldozer would have had to run over him for him to not be there, yet he's sick. And there's different things. And that obviously makes lots of changes. You know, pray for me this afternoon because I wasn't preaching tonight. Joe was. Now I am. So I have to get some revelation. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Right? So, uh, so no football for me this afternoon. No sleep for me this afternoon. I'll be in my office going, Holy Spirit. And that. But Holy Spirit's good. I always thought to myself, you preach your best messages under those conditions because the Holy Spirit just gives you something, right? He didn't say, well, you're lazy. You didn't do anything Thursday, Friday, right? Like, so he goes, nah, this is a good chance. Go do it, right? So, um, so, and to be honest, doing all of those things was the right thing to do. We actually needed to take into account what was happening. We needed to address how it affected people because that's just loving people. We needed to be understanding and compassionate and we needed to be creative to do church in under very different circumstances. Nothing wrong with the church for a time being a bit introspective considering what was going on in society. But I believe that that time is coming to an end and it's once again our place to have an outward focus that we would make a difference in the communities that God has put us into that we have to get the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, out. 
That's our role. That's one of the things that we've got to do. So we have to take a step back from what does the good news mean for me to what does the good news mean for others. And that's what I believe that God is telling us to do. We've had guest speakers come and prophesy. We've had guest speakers come and prophesy that God's going to be sending us soul, that the church souls that the church was heading into a harvest time. God's put messages on our hearts of our own staff. You know, Pastor Joe's speaking a fantastic message about praying big prayers, about seeing miracles and believing for miracles. You know, I recently spoke about Jesus, just of how the Sermon on the Mount was like church, but once he left that, he was confronted by a leper and then confronted by a centurion. And so that we have to take what happens in our hearts in church and bring that into our lives during the week. Then I spoke a message on the gospel last Sunday night. Uh, Pastor Rachel spoke a wonderful message on Jesus being a companion and, and, and friends of sinners. There's something that God is speaking to us about. Pastor Ken Lee was talking about it's not enough to just believe in Jesus. It's what do you believe about Jesus? And at night, about being vessels of oil, not just polishing the, the lamp, but actually being vessels full of oil. God wants us to get the glorious gospel out. You know, and it's not just here. As I speak to different pastors, friends of mine, there's just that's, that's the heart. It's what God's saying to the church. On Friday morning, I had the opportunity to go to Northside Christian College and, and speak there. And their theme, they gave me the, the theme of the, of the day. They said, right now we're in a place of mission. We're trying to teach people that they're mission-minded. Not missions just in some ways, just sending a mission or supporting a mission, but missions, getting the name of Jesus out, talking about Jesus. And so I was able to speak into that because it's a theme that God is speaking about. So today, I want to continue in that theme. And I pray that as, you know, this message speaks to this person, that message speaks to this person, that those of you who are still to catch it, in this message will catch it. And I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you that you love our church. And I pray that as I speak this morning, that you would take what I say, you would make it life, you would make it real, you would use it to stir people's hearts. Father, Lord, let us have an outward focus, an outward vision, the vision of the world that you have. And Father, I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Jesus, because in the end, he's the central story, and the central person of everything that we do. If it's not about Jesus, if it's a technique, if it's about the church, if it's about me, if it's about any other thing, yeah, it's all right, but it's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. We're here to lift up Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Immersed Church isn't the answer. Mark Elmendorp isn't the answer. You're not the answer. Jesus is the answer. So we're going to have a look at Jesus, and we're going to have a look at some things about Jesus, and then we're going to have a look at some of the ways that Jesus acted and some of the ways that Jesus, the attitudes that Jesus had. But we're going to do it in an interesting way, in that we're going to look at an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. And we're going to look at Isaiah 42, and we're just going to read the first four verses, and then I'm going to try and explain how I see that. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I might hold, my chosen 
in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, nor make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Father, make these words life today. I ask it in Jesus' name. You know, if this is who Jesus was, and if this is how Jesus walked on the earth, I think it's pertinent for us to take and make attention to this. Jesus is important. Let's have a look at it. So we're going to start. Behold my servant, whom I uphold. Number one, Jesus was a servant. I find it very interesting that the very first description, the very first thing that's said of Jesus in this prophecy is that he is a servant. So what it's basically saying is that everything else that Jesus did, everything else that Jesus said, actually sits on the foundation that he's a servant. Now, a servant is someone who understands that their first duty is to the master. Sometimes we make servant about the job, but what really makes a servant is that a servant is doing something for the master. He doesn't think about his own needs first. A servant thinks about the needs of the master. What does the master want? And that's the attitude that Jesus had. He laid aside his Godhead. He laid aside who he was. He came down on earth and served us, but he was serving his master. He was serving his father in heaven. He thinks and thought about what his master wanted. See, if you don't understand that you are first a servant of God in the sense of God is your master, not so much in the things that you do, but in the sense that God is your master, then you, you, you'll, never ver- you'll never have a fulfilling Christianity. You'll always end up having an unfulfilling, unsatisfying Christianity because eventually you'll find fault in God. Eventually, you'll find a reason that God let you down, didn't do what you wanted, didn't have your best interests at heart. Eventually, you'll reason away that God isn't good. Until you understand that you are a servant of God and that He is your master, right, you always have a wrong concept of who God is. It's no wonder that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to daily take up your cross. You've got to die to self. Christianity is dying to self and becoming more like Christ. Yourself is not like Christ. Yourself is willful. Yourself is selfish. Christ is not like that. And so each day we're asked to die to self, to die to our flesh. Your flesh wants to be the master. But a true disciple of Christ makes God his master makes God their master. True disciples of Jesus know that they're the servant and that God's the master. And I actually think this is one of the curses of modern Western Christianity. We have turned God into someone who should do what we think is best. And it's true. In so many ways, I see that. And that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel says we come to Christ. We make him our Lord and Saviour. 
and then we follow the destiny that God has planned for our lives. And for giving up our life, we then gain eternal life. I lay down my life and I pick up the life that Christ had for me. But understand this as well. Servanthood isn't actually about just doing acts of service. It's about who you're submitted to. We think of servants as the people who did the dishes. When I was a kid, my parents used to, to watch this show called Upstairs, Downstairs, right? If you're under 60, you have never heard of that show, right? But I hated it, right? It's such a boring show, but my parents loved it. Back in the day, there's only four channels. I know you kids are freaking out over that. And so we have to watch Upstairs, Downstairs, and it was all about that. Upstairs was where the aristocracy lived and the important people and downstairs was the servants. And we, and we kind of had that. And we, that's what we think of when we see servants, right? Like they did those things. Yet there were servants in those days who had great power and great authority. Think about this. Joseph was Pharaoh's servant in a sense, right? And yet he was the most powerful person in the world, right? Servants isn't about the job that you do. Don't confuse being a servant with weakness. Don't confuse servant with being lowly. Don't confuse servanthood with just doing acts of... No, servant can give you great authority because of the authority of whose you come under, right? And so Joseph was able to be a great servant of Pharaoh and, and actually have great power in the land because he made himself a servant of the one who was above him. So don't confuse being a servant with weakness because your power comes from the one that you serve. And we serve the most high God. And because of that, in this world, we have the ultimate power and ultimate authority when we submit our will to the will of God who is our master. And that's what the scripture actually says. You read it, behold my servant whom I'm uphold. When you take an attitude of a servant, then the master upholds you. You have all the power of the authority that the master has, and that's with you. Have the heart of a servant, knowing that you're submitted to God, then God will hold you up. He will support you, and God will be your support. God will be your support. So let's continue. And it goes to Isaiah 42, verse 1. My chosen... In whom my soul delights. Not understanding who you are in God is one of the things that I actually have to deal with the most as a pastor. So many people relate their circumstances as to whether they are in God's good books or whether they're in God's bad books. Something good happens, oh good, God must be happy with me. Something bad happens, oh no. God is judging me. God is punishing me for something that I did last week. But because of Jesus, we are God's delight. God delights in you. Nothing good you do changes God's delight in you. Nothing bad you do changes God's delight in you. See, if you don't get that, right, first thing to get is that we need to be a servant submitted unto God. The second thing to get is to actually understand that God delights in you. If you don't get that, 
your relationship with God will always be unstable. You always live in a constant state of anxiousness because maybe God's mad with me. Maybe he's not mad with me, but I did this last week, so he should be happy with me. But I did that last week, but maybe he shouldn't be happy with me. And it's exhausting to try and live like that, except that God delights in you. Great stability comes in knowing that God delights in you. Now, I'm going to say a radical thought right now. And some of you are going to struggle with it. Some of you are not going to get it. And if you don't, then I ask you to take some time this week to just sit in the presence of God and allow God to show you something. Here's a radical thought. God likes you. God actually likes you. We, we can kind of, God loves me, he has to, he's God. Right, that's what he does. God is love, he has to love me. He doesn't actually like me though. The, the, you know, like it's his role, it's his duty, it's his job, it's, his, it's who he is that makes him love me. But it's only because of that that he's on my side. He doesn't actually really like me. He knows what I'm really like. He, 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 and, and so if you can't live with the fact God likes you. He likes your personality. He likes who you are. He wants to spend time with you. Think of someone that you like, that you want to spend time with. That's how God thinks of you. He never thinks, oh, not you again. Oh, what do you want now? Oh, God, this girl. You you know, like, he doesn't think like that. He likes you. And I hope that sets you free today. God likes likes you. If you believe he doesn't like you, that's a lie. That's a lie. You may sit there and say, no one else likes me. Well, God still does. God likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. He delights in you. Jesus was God's chosen servant in whom he delighted. When the word chosen is used there, it's, the, it's like the choice part. It's like when you have a piece of meat and you cut off that choice part, the, that nice part. That's what God's saying. He says, you're like a choice part. In God's eyes, you're choice. In God's eyes, you're choice. He delights in you. Goes on in verse 1 and says, I have put my spirit upon him. Number three, Jesus never leaves you by yourself. When you serve God, you're never alone. You're never abandoned. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In actual fact, Jesus says, better I leave the earth so I can send the same spirit that descended upon me at my baptism. He's now going to come upon the whole world and even greater things you're going to do than I've done. It's better I'm not going to leave you alone. Even though I might go, I'm not leaving you alone. You're never left alone. The Spirit of God is upon you. One of the great weapons that the devil will always use is the fact he'll get you to believe that you're by yourself. He'll believe that you're the only one who knows. You're the only one who cares. You're the only one who can do something about it. And he tries to isolate you. The enemy goes about as a roaring lion seeking who may devour. A lion doesn't just run into a zebra pack and grab the first one. What they do is they they try and bring chaos. 
They try and bring things and, and they isolate. And once they isolate, then they can attack. They look for the weak and they look for the lame and they attack those ones. The enemy goes about as a roaring lion. You are never alone. You are never alone. God is always on your side. Never believe that you're by yourself. You will always have help. You know, I want to say sometimes it's just the fact that the circumstances are so overwhelming of what's happening around us that we just don't take the time to look. It, it's just the immediacy of the problem. And sometimes you just need to take a step back. It's another reason why I tell you, read your Bible and have a time with God every day. Because what happens is then that time is just take a step back. Ah, oh, you are with me, God. Ah, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And I promise you, if you take that moment, if you deliberately take a moment to have a look that God is with you, you will see that God is with you. I call it the wink of God. I'll be going through something. I'll feel hopeless. I'll feel bereft. I'll feel like God has abandoned me. And I promise you, all of you at some stage, you'll go through a dark night of the soul where you feel abandoned, where you feel there is no one, nothing, there's no way out. A sense of hopelessness will come over you. And then what happens in the midst? Something good happens. Something amazing happens. Sometimes literally nothing at all to do with what you're feeling hopeless about. But I look at it and it's God just winking at me going, it's all right, son, I got it, I'm with you. Yeah, you're going to have to go through this. You're going to have to navigate through this. It is a bit ugly, it is a bit hard, it is a bit tough. But hey, I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. And that little wink just encourages you. That little wink just gives you that strength. That little wink just makes you go, God, all right, I'll get through it. What seemed so horrible, all of a sudden you got the strength for. And I find it amazing that I'll go into a time of prayer just like, I can't do it. And I'll come out of that time of prayer and I'll be just like, come on, let's do it. The situation is exactly the same. There's no difference in situation. Sometimes it's got worse, right? And that, right? And then all of a sudden, but I go, all right, I'm not doing this alone. It's not going to be the end of me. This isn't going to get me. I see God's hand. God's got this. This morning, if you're in that situation today, decide to take a moment. And look for God's spirit. Because I promise you, God's not going to play hide and seek with you. If you look for his spirit, you'll see God's hand. You'll hear God's voice. You'll feel his strength and you'll be encouraged. God's servant who is God's delight, who God delights in and has placed his spirit upon, he's now set. And these are the things now, the scripture goes on and talks about what has he set him to do. Verse 1 continues, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus is interested in justice. Justice is actually central to the teaching and life of Jesus. And justice is actually central to who God actually is. You know, and if it's that important to God, it should matter to us. You know, I've been reading in my own devotions the major prophets. And so I've just finished Isaiah. I'm almost finished Jeremiah now. And 
it just hits me. You know, they talk about all the sin they did and all the things that they were doing and the gods that they were worshipping. But the main thing that God always had against them is that they showed no justice. They showed no love. They showed no compassion. They, they, they just allowed the poor to rot over here. They just allowed things to just happen over here, and they did nothing about it. And that more was a stench to God than pretty much anything else they did because it doesn't reflect who God is. When you don't show justice, you're not reflecting anything of who God is. When you show justice, you actually start to reflect who God is. And see, in the kingdom... There is no male or female. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. We all matter to Jesus, rich or poor. Jesus spoke with a moral Samaritan woman. He also spoke with a seeking Pharisee. He spoke with a hated tax collector. He spoke with a leader of the temple. He spoke with simple fishermen, a, a, a rich young ruler. He spent time with a contagious leper, an outcast, unclean woman who had an issue of blood, and a high-ranking centurion. His message was equal for all. He didn't place people in categories. He didn't, these ones are, are cool because they're doing this, but these ones aren't because they're doing this. And e, we do it. I, I know I do it all the time. I'm, I'm judgmental, and this is what's been hitting me. Stop being so judgmental, Mark. Stop making as if you wouldn't be any different if you didn't live the life that they had of. Stop making yourself like you're better than they are. Stop it. It's not the heart of God. And he's talking to me. It's been very confronting. Don't like some of those things. His message is equal at all. If you're high up in society, God speaks to you. If you're an outcast society, God speaks to you. See, justice is making sure you care about someone else's situation and you try and do something about it. The best picture of justice I can find is this one I'd just like to put up on the screen. Right? That's equality. We say, well, we want equality, we want equality. But it doesn't actually work. Sometimes someone needs an extra hand. So if you're going to miss out on a box so someone else can see, that's actually justice. That's being just. So what are you doing to make someone else's life better? And what is we as a church doing to make someone else's life better other than judge them? Well, that guy, sure, he just deserves it. When he grows, he can look over the fence. Right, we can make out all these reasons. And sometimes, oh, should I go here? No. Nah. <laughs> all right, I will. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. You know, some of the things that have been happening in America this week with a classroom for children. And you see some of the stuff that some, in many ways, some of the people talking, I agree with so much of what they say, but there's just no compassion. There's just no justice. There's no, it's, it's just horrible. You can't justify what happened. And you've got to start to say there is a problem. And there's some things that we just look at and we justify it. But there's an actual problem. We can look at some of the, the things in our society of our indigenous and, and some of those things and sit there and say, well, we got, I got this and that's reason and da, da, da. But there's a problem. And we need, to, we need to have a heart of compassion. 
Now, this is not in my sermon. When Ken Lee was here, he's got a son who's severely disabled. And he has to go to a special school. And I get compassion when I hear this story because it's just, there's so many people in our society that are hurting. And that's what we can try and do. We've got to try and help them. But here's this lady. She's just dropped her kid off at school. And she's at her car and she's just crying. And she's crying because her just can't cope with her life because of a disabled son or disabled daughter. I don't know if it was a boy or girl. And Ken's wife was just able to go over there and just start talking to her. And then they just started this group called Aaron's Heroes. I don't know what they call it. It's something heroes. And then that church now just does respite for all people who've got kids like that. Just four hours, and they do that. And now what they do is they actually have a spot in their church so some people can come to church because these people are locked in their homes. You know, one of the girls who was in our wedding, right, Melinda Ferguson, she's a beautiful lady. She was in ministry serving. She's had a child, and she's not been out of the house pretty much for 10 years. She can't go to church, can't do anything because of what's happening with her child. And she's a push-through woman. She's not a weakie. She's not just someone who just gets knocked over by the slightest little thing. And, and so what I'm saying is that we've got to have a heart of compassion for people. And God will show you the people looking at a fence and where their life is at. And, and be careful. And maybe this because just in me, of just making proclamations, simple proclamations about stuff that just aren't simple. If you can bear the burden, if you can try and make life more just for people you've come into contact with, then you're acting as Christ acted. If you can speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves, then you are acting justly. If you bear the burden someone can't carry for a time, that's acting in justice. And you know, we all have varying capacities for compassion. We all have various opportunities to show compassion and we've all got various resources that we can put towards it. Right? So even be kind in people who aren't showing justice in one sense. Right? Right? But we are all called to walk justly. All right, let's get on with this sermon. All right, sorry about that. But it's just, it, it's just something that I feel God is, is speaking to us about. All right, Isaiah verse 2. He goes, he will not cry out aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Jesus never made it about himself, which is pretty interesting because to be honest, Jesus was the best person ever. He actually was better than everyone else, right? He had a reason to be confident, not arrogant, because he actually was better, right? He wasn't just maybe better. He wasn't just, he was actually better, but he never lauded himself as someone great. Jesus never needed to brag. He never needed to be boastful. He never needed to lift himself up. He knew that because of his life, he was going to get glory, but he always made sure that only that glory was the reflection of the glory of his Father. I want to say this. Pride, arrogance, insolence, anger, power, position, negativity, judgment, cynicism, gossip, self-promotion, insecurity, narcissism, aren't 
part of kingdom life. They're not part of kingdom life. They're not who we are because those things are about ourselves and it's not kingdom thinking. They were never part of Jesus' demeanor. Jesus always conducted himself with grace and wisdom. He taught with authority because about what he said, right? It wasn't the way that he said it. And I want to say, people don't like pride. People don't like arrogant people. They just don't like it. It's not part of the kingdom. Once again, it's something that repels and pushes people away. Yet as people of the kingdom, we are called to be attractive people that draw people. It repels people. Recently, I failed miserably. I went to vote all right, on a Saturday. There were two doors. I went in that door, walked around here, stood at the table to give my name, and the lady said, no, you've got to go through that door. And I'm like, well, I'm here now. No, you've got to go through that door. But I'm here. All right? Why would I have to go out there and come back so I can stand here again? So I'm getting more and more, right? Take that. And then she goes, well, you just have to do that. Well, there's no sign. Why don't you put a sign up there? At least label it. Then I know what door I have to go through. So I'm making a big deal over, can you move thinking three meters over here and just go through the door for me, please? Right? And so I'm getting mad. And I'm getting mad. And then, you know, I'm just like, this is just a silly system. Just put a sign up there. Make sure people go through that door. I have someone leading someone through the door. Not that hard. Come this way. Right? And, and you know what? I didn't make her feel better. She didn't have a good day because of Mark. Her day was worse because she came into contact with me. And I left that. And Rachel's going, Dad, that wasn't really cool. <laughs> Don't you love your kids? Right? But it's true. Her day was worse because she interacted with me. She's just doing her job. She's got to go through that door, whether it's assistance, good or bad or whatever. She's just doing her job. She's doing what she's asked to do. She's actually trying to help people. She's actually trying to show some civicness. And here I am and I make her day bad. And I was rebuked, right? And that's why I'm happy to tell you that because this is a shameful thing that I did. You know, like I'm not perfect. I'm still, but I'm going to try and never do that again. I want my interactions with people to leave them with something good. Leave them with something happy. Leave them with a, with a good feeling rather than a negative feeling. Whether they've insulted my sensibilities or not. Whether the system's good or not. Right? Like, so ask yourself the question each day. And that's what I've been trying to do. As I look and I go to sleep at night, I look at my day and I go, did I make that person feel better? Did, did I add something to that person's life? Have I been able to to help that person. You're looking at me like I'm terrible. I shouldn't have told that story. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I repented. I did, I did. Right? <laughs> so uh, Rachel go, that lady's going to come to church tomorrow. Right? <laughs> and I said, she won't be an usher. No, but uh, no, 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 so, no, no, so, uh, and then I repented after that. All right, so, oh, and then I read this scripture. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. 
He will faithfully bring forth justice. You know, Jesus allows us to make mistakes. I like this one. I've been a Christian now on a July the 11th of 40 years. But let me tell you, that's still got a way to go. Right? And, and sometimes in this Christian walk, I'm left a little bruised, a little tender. Sometimes I inflicted those bruises on myself. Sometimes other people inflicted those bruises upon me. But Jesus doesn't demand that we always get it right. He understands when we take a blow in our spiritual battle. He understands that as we wrestle against flesh and blood, that there's sometimes there's going to be times when the enemy's actually on top and we get on top again. And that there is a wrestle when we are going to actually get bruised. We're going to have a bruise inflicted or two upon us. But that doesn't disqualify us from the battle. No, Jesus, if we allow him, rehabilitates us. He cuts us some slack. He doesn't say, work harder, pray more, fast more, come on, give more, fast more. But he gently binds our wounds if we let him and ultimately we allow justice to prevail. You know, my daughter, Tori, has just been diagnosed last week with glandular fever. And so she's just like got no energy. She's still been going to work. She's still doing her things. We pray for her every day. But I don't sit there and say, Tori, you haven't done the dishes today. Would you clean your room? By the way, it's your turn to do the ironing. Why haven't you done the ironing yet? I don't sit there and ask her to do her chores. And I certainly then don't go and ask her to do extra chores. Can you please do the hedging outside? Mow the lawns, right? Do something like that. Yet sometimes we think when we go through a hard and difficult time, that the enemy asks more of us, do more. Oh no, that God asks more of us, do more, do more, do more. It is actually the enemy asking us to do more. God wants to bind us. God wants to bring in the brokenhearted. God wants to do that. And Jesus doesn't just blow out a candle, our candle, just because it's not burning the way that it should. You know, we all go through times where our spiritual fervor isn't what it could be. I might be Pastor Mark, but there are times when I actually have to discipline myself to pursue those spiritual things. Right? But God doesn't go, well, you're just slack. You didn't pray as much as you have. You haven't been reading the way that you should have. You haven't been uh, participating the way that you normally do. You're... you're but what God does, he just goes, and he blows his oxygen, and he blows his love, and he blows his care, and he blows his heart upon you. And all of a sudden, oh, God, here I am. God, that's what happens. And that's why we put on the different things. We've got a men's and women's conference coming up soon. Maybe your spiritual fervor hasn't been. Maybe your, your fervor is, is like a smoking flax. We come to something like that and the Spirit of God comes and lifts something up in your spirit. Come to our summit. The reason we do our summit is literally that. Because I want the wind of the Holy Spirit to come in. The oxygen of the Holy Spirit. And set fire to all of our hearts. Not to do another thing. The church does enough things. We have enough events. But those events are there so that the Spirit of God can use that opportunity to come in and blow His wind into your spirit and set that fire up again in your lives. But then, if that's how God is with us, 
How about us being like that with other people? Can we act the same way with the people that, that we do life with? Can we give them a second chance and a third chance and maybe even a thousandth chance? Let us follow the example of Jesus who always built people up, didn't find a reason to, to be mad and didn't find a reason to, to bring them down, didn't look at the obvious things in their life, but always went up to build them up. Let us build weak, weak people rather than watching them wallow in our ministry. Verse uh, 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth. Number 7, Jesus doesn't grow tired of us. After 40 years of being a Christian, I've said before, I mess up bad sometimes, but God isn't expecting perfection. God doesn't expect perfection from me. He always looks at the one who was perfect, and as he looks through him, he sees me as perfect. He looks at the one who took all my imperfections upon himself. And for perfection, he looks at Jesus. And through Jesus, he sees a perfect me. You know, I can get tired of some people. You make a mistake once, I'll forgive you. Make it twice, I'll get annoyed. Make it three times, I'll be mad and probably say something. Make it four times, I'll just write you off as an idiot. You're just, you're an idiot. Right? And, and that's me. And, and, and unfortunately, sometimes if someone reaches that idiot stage, it's hard to get back. Right? So I'm changing. You know, aren't you glad I'm not God? Right? Jesus doesn't get tired of us. Jesus isn't discouraged by us. Jesus, you know, sometimes you go, oh, man, that guy, that girl, she's never going to, right? It's always, oh. you can just kind of get discouraged. But Jesus can't. Next time he'll do it. Next time she'll make it. Next time she'll pass. Next time she'll get there. Next time he'll do it. God is never discouraged. God, is, God never gives up on us. God never goes, oh, he's too hard, okay? She's too far gone, right? God is always going to give us another chance. You know, my dad was a very measured person. His personality was very stable. Very, very rarely got mad. Very, very rarely. Just no matter what we did. And trust me, my brother and I gave him lots of opportunities, right? And, uh, but he never really got mad. But there were many times I could see that we disappointed him. And to be honest, in some ways, that was worse. I would rather he be mad with me, yell at me, tell me how bad I was, but no, he just had that disappointed look in his eyes. And let me tell you, that was powerful. It would make me feel terrible. My dad was a great dad, but my heavenly father is magnificent. He doesn't get mad with me, but he also doesn't get disappointed in me. And this, when I was preparing this message, I felt that there was a number of people here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you to indicate it. But I, I feel that there's a number of people here who feel like they've disappointed God. And if God was mad at you, I can deal with that. But it's that disappointment, it's, that, it's, it's almost worse. And you feel like you've disappointed God. I want to set you free from that. Maybe you're at home today on, watching online. You have not disappointed God. You have not disappointed God. God is not disappointed in you. And I'm going to pray over people right now. I want to set you free. I want, to, I want, that, 
I want that broken right now. It's held you too long. It's, it's, it's kept you to a point for too long. It's time to get on. Father, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, anyone here who feels that, that you're disappointed in them, oh God, Father, Lord, set them free right now. Yes, they may have done something disappointing, but you are not disappointed in them, oh God. You are not holding them for it, oh God. You are not being mean to them because of it, oh God. You are not withholding from them because of it, oh Lord. Father, Lord, they're not walking in their purpose because they stopped at that disappointment. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, set them free. I rebuke the lies of the enemy right now. In Jesus' name, I rebuke the lie of the enemy that says that God is disappointed. I break it right now. God delights in you. God delights in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Think about this. If Jesus asked us to forgive 70 times 7, the same sin in the same day, he isn't going to ask and hold us to account for something he's not willing to do. Right? God forgives who he is. Be free this morning. And remember that God delights in you. He's not going to hold us to a higher standard than he holds himself. But also let us follow the example of Jesus and be people who encourage people to follow the destiny of God in their lives even when they mess up. So he said, Joe, look what she did. Look what he did. Look what they're doing. Rah, rah, rah. Look at that guy. Look at this person. Look at this. Let's not do it. Let's believe and encourage and give them a second chance. And maybe the band could come. Finishes with this. And the coastlands wait for his law. Number eight, Jesus knows that there's a world to win. Here the coastlands speak of the world. It's the, it's the society. It's the world. And the world is waiting for his law, not the law. Waiting for his law. And Jesus' law is the law of love. The world has no answers. You know, it's seemingly like it's getting harder to live, even though, to be honest, in historical fact, we live the best lives we could ever live. This is the best time ever to live. But it's because true peace doesn't come from the outward emptiness of more stuff. It actually bankrupts your soul. Now, our souls are filled when we come into relationship with the one who loves our soul. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the law of love. See, and this is where I kind of summarize my whole sermon, this whole scripture. When we live as servants whom God delights in, who understand that we are never alone, when we display justice, not playing favorites, when we don't live in pride, making life about ourselves, when we forgive the mistakes of others, and we stand with people over time, trust me, the world is looking for a church like that. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against a church like that. And we are set up as a church to win the people to the lost, those who are going to a Christless eternity, who are going to end up in hell if they don't give their lives to Christ. We have a responsibility to do that. And to act like Jesus. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's something that we have to do in ourselves. So this morning, 
Please make a commitment to be a servant of the kingdom, to be a servant of God and a servant of the kingdom, to show justice, to to act with mercy, to act with grace, to act with perseverance, to to come again and again and again. If If you're kind of feeling a bit broken right now, understand that God wants to build you up again. If you're feeling a little bit lack of fervor right now, God wants to breathe by His Spirit. Close your eyes right now, Father. I'm excited about where you're taking us, oh God. And Father, Lord, let us take our next step in what we're doing, oh God. Father, Lord, this week show us different things that we need to do. Show us different areas where we can display these kind of Christ-like characteristics that you've given to us this morning. But Father, we want to see Emerge Church. Father, win souls. Win souls. Win souls. Father, to these generations that are out there today who don't know Christ, to a community that, that is not understanding Christ as we once did and, and once was, oh God, that we would be able to make a difference, oh God, and those that are disconsolate, discouraged, oh God, those people, oh God, those have no answer, Lord, those that are seeking, Father, draw them here, oh God. Draw them here. Bring them into our circle of influence, oh God. Father, we just ask that in the name of Jesus. Father, Lord, let us be a church of love, not a church of dust, uh, judgment. Let us be a church of justice, oh God. Let us be a church of justice, oh God. Father, bringing, Lord, not compromising, not weak, not going the ways of the world, but Father, trusting in that the ways of the kingdom are enough, are the true answer, oh God. Father, let us be bold in our declaration of your goodness. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 